Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Christmas is coming. The goose is indeed getting fat. But would somebody please remind the government that giving out instructions to families on who they should be mixing with is doomed to failure. More and more people are revealing that they won't be bullied into not having a normal Christmas with their families and I heartily endorse their view. The new Chris Whitty, Dr Susan Hopkins, managed to get it all wrapped around her ears yesterday. The Imperial College modeler claimed that for every day of Christmas freedom we would be punished with two days of incarceration in a new lockdown. Turns out she was entirely wrong about that. It's five days for every one. Apparently she misspoke. That's the new way of uh, covering up uh, getting something completely and utterly wrong. Well, excuse me for asking, but who gave these bozos a license to just make stuff up as they go? And by the way, where is Professor Witty? Have they locked him in a cupboard? What's going on? Meanwhile, the Prime Minister continues his self-isolation in splendid style. He's addressing the House of Commons on his plan to splurge £16 billion on the military. Let's hope he's got a better connection than he had yesterday, because that was pretty poor, I'd have to say. We'll be asking uh, the count we'll be seeking rather the counsel of SDP leader William Clouston, always a voice of calm and sanity in these crazy times. 0344-499-1000. Coming up, we'll hear from commentator and author Helen Dale on why government by data is a dangerous thing. And we'll get the latest on the BBC's own investigation into Diana Gate and Panorama. What did they know and when did they know it? Prince William uh, seems to be quite keen on getting to the bottom of it all. Still no word uh, from the Duke of Netflix over in California. Maybe he hasn't heard uh, that uh, Panorama is being investigated by Panorama. 0344 499 1000. As ever, we need to hear from you, of course, as well. What are you planning, if anything, for Christmas? Are you one of those Grinches who thinks it should all be cancelled? Or will you refuse to be affected by government orders? You know what to do. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course... Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. 
Now, I don't know what you made of Boris Johnson's uh, zoomed in Prime Minister's questions yesterday, but I mean, he was standing with a very, very sort of uh, pale background, looking very pale, not particularly well, and with a connection uh, that we've had better uh, on this actual radio station. So, I mean, as the Prime Minister of the nation, somebody who's constantly pushing out how uh, we're going to be at the very forefront of technological expertise and we're going to have 5G all over the country sooner rather than later, you'd think that his technical people in Downing Street would have made a slightly better job of uh, presenting him uh, to the world. Today, he's going to do it again at midday, and we'll be bringing you a bit of that. But let's see. We're only going to really check in with it to make sure that he's actually got a better connection than he had yesterday. Maybe you should try Skype, or maybe you should try FaceTime. Maybe that would be easier. I don't know. But I think we ought to really expect the Prime Minister uh, to have the absolute top 10 out of 10 technological expertise, don't you? Isn't that what we deserve? Especially since he's spending another £16 billion of our money uh, on a load of cyber security. All very well for him, you might say. Let's talk to William Clouston, leader of the Social Democratic Party. He's the only man, uh, as far as we know, aside from the soon-to-be Reform UK party, uh, which is anti-lockdown uh, and very much, I presume, pro-Christmas. William, a very good morning to you. Morning. Great to be back. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Um, I mean, I, didn't, I, I wasn't uh, just buttering you up when I said that you were a voice of calm and sanity in these crazy times, because they are indeed crazy uh, and you are indeed sane. So tell us what you think of what's going on. Well, it's 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 been I mean, this has been going on you know, since March, really. Um, what can we say? I mean, the basic uh, situation is we've had stop go from the government and uh, sharp turns. But um, we're also learning lessons, aren't we? Because um, a basic lesson is that if you ask a reasonable request of the public, uh, the, the request will probably be honored. Mm. Uh, but if you if you don't, if you ask something which is uh, unreasonable, you'll get eventually you'll get defiance. And I think we're at the stage now where after, you know, the, the first lockdown was honored spectacularly and in a great, uh, you know, spirit of public spirit and, and solidarity. Uh, and, and, and as a one off, that's fine. I think people would accept that we supported the first lockdown. Um, but as we've gone on the, the sharp turns and the and the getting people back and then and then, you know, giving um, incoherent advice to businesses and families and so on. Um, people are just, their patience is wearing thin. Mm. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. And this latest kind of nonsense about Christmas really has, I think, upset quite a few people. I mean, there will be those, and I've seen them, as I'm sure you have, William, uh, on social media saying, you know, we're shielding, uh, we've got very, um, you know, unwell relatives, we've got people who are very vulnerable, we don't want there to be Christmas. Well, fine, if you don't want to have a big Christmas party, then don't have one. Nobody's forcing anybody to do anything. But for the government to come out, and I don't know, as I say, I don't know where Professor Witty has disappeared to, but for this woman, Susan Hopkins, to come out and sort of grant us you know, two days, which later became five days of punishment for every one day of freedom. I mean, it's quite ludicrous, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, and again, what they're missing is that the, the they're, they're losing out on the on the goodwill and personal responsibility. Um, there can't be anyone in this jurisdiction, in this kingdom, that isn't aware that, the, you know, we're, we're suffering a viral pandemic and that older people are more vulnerable. Everyone understands that. Yeah. And therefore, Including, by the way, the old and vulnerable. Yes, and absolutely. And anyone, any family group that decides to get together at Christmas is aware of that. Um, what, what we're facing is a, is a sort of moral panic about risk. And this has been going on from the start. You know, there's risk involved in absolutely everything. If, if, if certain families decide not to have a, a, a communal family Christmas, then fine. It might be very sensible. 
um, in certain circumstances. But if others decide to get together, possibly for the last time, you've got to remember that as well, then that is their, their choice. Um, I think we've, the government really has, has the, the, the response. I mean, I, I, I've said before that I think what we're witnessing is a, a synchronized giant policy error. And outside of war, I think it's probably the biggest global policy area we, we will see. I mean, you know, remember, bad as it's been with all the effects of the lockdowns and so on and the disruption to people's lives and the deaths we've had, um, not just from COVID, from other things, because the NHS capacity has been affected to treat anyone else for anything else. But really, the, the long-term tail effects, the long-term effects are just going to start. Mm. And I've said before, insolvency practitioners and other people are going to get together. Unemployment's going to rise. Um, and, and if you just look at the figures produced by the National Audit Office on their cost of COVID tracker, effectively, you know, you're into hundreds and hundreds of billions. Already, the cost of this society is far greater than the uh, global financial crisis in 08. Yeah, exactly right. And when you see um, the kind of problems that the government is creating, not just for themselves, but also for an awful lot of businesses because of the uncertainty, that's a massive thing at this time of the year because I've spoken to a lot of independent traders who say, look, you know, yes, November uh, is massive for us and we're sorry that we haven't been able to trade during that month. But if we can at least catch up in December, that will be one thing. But what they don't know is whether they can do that. So none of them know whether they can order in the stock. None of them know whether they can actually, you know, um, make any uh, provision for selling uh, and making provision for hiring people to do that selling. And until and, 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 and as such as the government actually says something definitive, they can't really make any plans. No, they can't. And the, the tragic thing is that they've actually done everything the government hitherto has asked of them. Mm. That's the problem. Um, I mean, basically, in retail, the window, it's, it is seasonal. And for most retail operations... Uh, the window is, is is basically October, November, December right. um, to, to, to make most of the profit for the year. And a lot of that's already been disrupted. But the tragic thing is that all of the shops have done what they've been asked. They've made the adaptations in, in store to make them safe. Uh, and then suddenly it's deemed that it's not safe and they have to close down. But Mike, it's not just it's not just businesses. Um, you know, in the community council I chair up here in Northumberland, we have uh, a lot of community groups that use the community hall we probably have something like uh, 35 groups. Now, I really don't know how many of those groups are going to restart next year when we're in a position to start it up. So you're not talking about uh, businesses, you're talking about film clubs, uh, you know, bowls club, things like that, community groups that people rely on. And this, this, this interregnum, this break in, in, in uh, their ability to do that, uh, will actually re reduce uh, the number of, of groups we have, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely right. And also in general terms, William, you know, we still struggle, do we not, uh, to get any answers out of this government as to whether the lockdowns are working, have worked, will work in the future, uh, will continue to be kind of um, investigated through December because we're told two or three different versions of events might happen. More than likely, I'm assuming, uh, I don't know whether you agree, that, that we'll probably come out of this on December the 2nd into some kind of return to a tiered system, which seemed to be working reasonably well. I don't really understand why they had to change it. Yeah, the, the government have a difficulty, as any policymaker would, with tail effects, obviously. Um, I mean, certainly the, <clears throat> on the ONS website, you can see the um, seven-day moving average for the death rate mm. in this country is, is starting to reduce, which is good news. Um, so, you know, it, it, it is difficult from that point of view, but I think you, they're missing, often when we look at particular things, we're missing a much, much more important, bigger thing. And the problem from the start 
there's been the government's been at the point I've made many times the government's made policy uh, from nerve tag and sage but it hasn't had an equivalent committee or advice on the macro effects mm. the, the collateral damage and what it's doing which I've I I have no doubt is far far more damaging that's the problem and so they've only actually had half of the advice well, that's right. And they've actually kind of almost um, boasted about the fact that they haven't bothered to look into the economic uh, effects, because why would you why would you not? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me at all. It's grossly irresponsible. I mean, literally, it is grossly irresponsible to do what they're doing. Um, you know, uh, we've had analysis on quality adjusted life years and the cost of those for COVID deaths as opposed to others. Mm. Some of the analysis indicates literally uh inflation of that cost of something like you know six thousand seven hundred percent i mean it's what we're what we're witnessing is as i say is a, is a gigantic policy area you can't it is not rational to burden future generations and to steal effectively from our children and grandchildren um to to save a quality adjusted life year at a cost of a million pounds now mm. when the tail effect of that on society going forward is colossal and, and they're just not it is it is grossly irresponsible for some reason the press has not been fit you know the, i mean apart from pockets like the specky and telegraph and spiked and others uh, there's been very very little scrutiny certainly the bbc has done nothing to look into that they've got this fact checker guy yeah um, i'm afraid he hasn't been very good yeah, well, perhaps he's gone over to Panorama to try and figure out what Martin Bashir was up to all those years ago. But, I mean, you do wonder with some of the, the sort of the supine nature of the media. I mean, the Daily Mirror this morning uh, against the Tory government, right, has got a front page about Christmas and all of the rules that are going to be brought in as if they have to be brought in, as if the rules are somehow, you know, un, uh, you know unassailable and you can't argue about them because they are obviously the rules that we must do. And you just think, well, hang on a minute, you know, they're literally making this stuff up as they go along. Susan Hopkins yesterday with this whole is it two days is it five days i mean there's no evidence that any of that is required there is absolutely no suggestion that if you have some people round for dinner who happen to be members of your family and you happen to be reasonably careful about how you interact with one another that you then need to lock yourselves away for five days yeah um, unfortunately those of us that have been arguing for more policy stability and uh you know basically a, a more stable environment generally um I'm afraid to say we, we, we're not going to be listened to. Um, and the, the main reason for that is actually the good news of the, of the vaccine uh, efficacy. Um, more and more vaccines are, are being produced and, and, and obviously they, they, are, uh, they appear to be um, effective. Um, so from the government's point of view, I, I would say the prospect of them taking a proportion as a sensible view while we're still in the seasonality, uh, you know, the epidemic season, uh, I would say is nil. And I would say to, to friends and society in general, I'm afraid we're in a, a damage limitation phase now where we just have to see the government's approach out probably till March or April the best we can and try and cling on to the uh, infrastructure we have uh, and keep it together. But they're not going to change now as they've got the pathway into the vaccine, which, is, which, as I say, is a good thing. And, and I think there's a reasonable prospect the you know mass vaccination to, could take place in the summer uh and by next autumn we could be approaching a, a far rosier uh situation having said that I, I have to bring one matter up um parliament took advice from a number of lawyers in the summer about compulsory vaccination uh and were looking at the legal background to that and i have to say myself i'm, I'm strongly against 
the idea of, of, of compulsory vaccination. Well, I'd like to think everybody is, but unfortunately everybody isn't against it because quite a lot of the members of the scientific community appear to be for it. They are. Uh, well, I think many of them are. Uh, uh, not all of them. Um, I, I seem to remember Talk Radio um, interviewed a, a professor from Leeds who said when he was asked whether he, his children should get the vaccine, he sort of hesitated a little mm. bit, so it's not unanimous. No. But in any case, I mean, the, the YouGov poll, I think it was yesterday or the day before, show very, very sizable uh, minorities, 34%, against compulsory vaccination. Mm. Uh, and I just think from a, from an embedded rights point of view, I'd be very, very concerned uh, if the government starts uh, looking at that. I mean, and, and well, they're clearly looking at it. I'd be very concerned if that happened. Yeah, I can't imagine that they would in any way, shape or form try to push that through. But what worries me is that they're taking advice from some of these characters, these scientists who seem to be, as I've said before, so cautious that they would barely go out the front door uh, if they didn't absolutely have to, because they think that they can somehow stop all risk in life. And as you've said before, William, you know, risk is very much a part of life. You know, we, we risk our lives every single day that we go and do anything. But these people would seem to want to, all, uh, to, to have us all hide away in our houses, as Boris Johnson is currently doing, for no apparent reason, um, in order to somehow, um, you know, make sure this virus doesn't do any harm. Well, I'm afraid you can't do that. It doesn't work. No, I and mean, the Boris isolation thing is, is quite bizarre, isn't it? I mean, the poor chap nearly died. Um, he, he, you know, on all evidence, he must uh, have some immunity to it. Mm. Uh, in any case, people could distance from him. It seems a bit of an overreaction. I mean, again, I, I don't, I think the, the, what, what the problem we've had is expertise is particular, isn't it? Mm. Um, you know, the, the particular expertise of virologists and immunologists and so on uh, are, is that, but it's not on the colossal collateral damage on a macro scale. No. You know, so I, all of these, I read you know, foreign I, affairs. I, sorry, go on. Yeah, foreign affairs had a piece, um, you know, last month about uh, about the you know f global food supply being affected by this, and they had stacked literally ten. They had thousands of people, on their estimates, dying of starvation as a result of this, and no one is talking about it. No, of course not, because we still have many, many politicians and many of these kind of, you know, what I regard as uh, rather overcautious, quite often um, politically driven doctors, one of whom is Rachel Clark, who put out a tweet yesterday saying another 529 COVID deaths just announced today. Uh, it goes on and on and on. A jumbo jet fall falling from the sky day after day after day. Well, what she doesn't say uh, is that there's two other jumbo jets full of people falling from the sky who've died from other things. So, you know, it's completely irrelevant, how, no matter how much you want to frighten people. Um, and I think these people should be stopped from doing it. Yeah, and the sad thing is that, again, it's, it's irresponsible because they're not taking the tail effect. Ask any macroeconomist, the tail effect of this, just financially. Could, we're looking at something like, a, conservatively, something like a trillion uh, pound hit to this economy. The tail effect of that will literally, it could be 10, 15, 20 years. And long, long after Ferguson and uh, Matt Hancock and all the other people that have presided over this uh, policy era uh, and not listened to and have forgotten, services will be affected, people will be affected, opportunities to the young people will be curtailed, doors will slam shut. And that's what we've got to face. And they're not facing up to it. I, I do wish people, more people in the commentary. I mean, I think you've done a brilliant job, but it's it, we're, we're sort of crying in the wind, really, because... Mm. These, you know, most this era has not been uh, addressed and, and, and it's vital it is.
Yeah, absolutely right. William, thank you very much indeed as ever for your time. William Clouston, leader of the Social Democratic Party, talking a great deal of sense uh, about what the government isn't doing rather than what the government actually is doing. I mean, yesterday they were announcing their green industrial revolution. That seems to have gone by the wayside because today they've got another announcement. 16 billion quid for the military. I wonder what they're going to tell us tomorrow to try and take our minds off Christmas. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Right now, though, uh, we're going to speak to a, a very important guest, Julie Hambleton, uh, who has t- tirelessly campaigned uh, for justice uh, in the case of the Birmingham pub bombings. Because you might remember, we've spoken to Julie uh, in the past. She lost her sister uh, that terrible night, all those years ago uh, in Birmingham, when the IRA uh, blew up a pub full of people who were uh, just out enjoying themselves. And yesterday, just before this show ended, a very dramatic development took place where the police in Belfast, counter-terrorism, police uh, basically arrested a 65 year old man uh, and are now questioning that man uh, and are searching um, his home and all sorts of other things are going on it's the west midlands police that are involved in it let's talk to julie now julie a very good morning to you Good morning. Thank you for inviting me. Not at all. Thanks so much for for talking to us. I saw you talking on on television yesterday. I mean, it's obviously still a very raw situation for you, despite it uh, it happening all those years ago in 1974. Um, But uh, it was November the 21st, which which must come around as a terrible anniversary for you every year. Well, yes, um, we don't call them anniversaries. We call them memorials because there's nothing to celebrate, Mm. is there? And... Um, the, the, the Memorial Day is um, a day when we gather with friends and families and our supporters uh, to highlight uh, this continued injustice that, that, that 46 years on, which will be this Saturday, 46 years on. And it's a long time in coming that, that they've arrested him, um, this person, and it is early days. It is in its embryonic stage. He could be out in two days mm. with no charges being brought. But it is nevertheless on the back of our campaigning because we know for sure that without our campaigning and the fantastic support from our supporters from across the United Kingdom, Ireland and across the world, this would never have taken place. Or from our fantastic legal team, KRW Law, who continue to represent us pro bono yeah. because we keep being refused legal aid by the legal aid agency in England and Wales. That's a shocking state of affairs, isn't it? And what's their reasoning for that, by the way? <laughs> now, you know, that's a very interesting question, Mike. That's a very interesting question. One of the last times that I, I uh, uh, um, com- completed the 21-page legal aid document that li- literally wants to know how much money you spend on your shopping. They mm. want to know your inside leg. Yeah. They need to know your financial soul. One of the reasons that they told me, actually two reasons that they told me that they weren't giving it to me, was one, because our um, our uh, prostitution of ourselves out on the streets collecting money uh, and having a just giving site uh, was doing so well that that's what we should continue doing. And the other reason why they refused us legal aid was because, quote, we see no merit in your case. That's incredible, So that makes them judge and jury. And as it was, that's when we brought a judicial review about, against the chief coroner, Sir Peter Thornton, right. because he was having such a limited scope last year on our inquest. And guess what? We raised the money. The fantastic people of this country helped us raise £35,000 in five weeks mm. to pay for the judicial review. Right. And we won. 
And you also got an inquest, didn't you, last year, which, which we proved did. that we had, there and we were... We had to fight for that as well. Yeah. It really is quite disgraceful, isn't it, the way that some people in this country uh, in the legal profession operate. But in that inquest um, last year, um, I presume it was partly due to that, that, that this particular individual may have been identified. Yes. Uh, yes, absolutely. And um, with uh, other uh, documentaries and other evidence, uh, I, I mean, I have to tell you that... Uh, Chris Sims, who was the chief constable in uh, 2014, uh, that we finally met him. I wrote to him in 2009, and it took him five years. Mm. No exaggeration. It took him five years to respond to my letter because he thought we were going away. And when we actually met him, he told us he had names, five names in his top drawer of who committed this crime. So we asked him, why are you not going out uh, collecting evidence? And he said, well, there is no new evidence. And I I looked at him and I said, excuse me, but you are the police, aren't you? It is your job to go and find evidence. Mm. No murderer I know will leave a calling card. Right. Exactly right. And so, I mean, obviously you've called this hugely significant. Uh, the, the Birmingham Six originally were released, I think, in 1991. Um, and, you know, this is really the first thing that's properly happened, isn't it, since then? It is. It is. It is, it is a very significant development. And strangely enough, Paddy Hill, who is one of the men who became known as Birmingham Six, he telephoned me last night. Mm. God bless him. Love, love him. He's, he's a real gentleman, a very angry man, and he has every right to be yeah. angry. But he's right behind us, and he'll do anything for us. And, and we're singing from the same hymn sheet. What we're fighting for is basically what they're fighting for. That he wants his name to be cleared. Sure. He did not commit this horrendous uh, crime. But those who did continue to be at their liberty, having full lives, which is something that they removed the right from, from our loved ones 46 years ago. Yeah, exactly right. And Pretty Patel, the Home Secretary, has said that she might want to organise a public inquiry. Have you heard any news on that? No, well, because we, we, we went into lockdown. She was hoping to uh, come and meet us in you know, this month, which would have been fantastic. But because of lockdown, that's not possible. Mm. So we're looking, hopefully, for some time in December. But um, I, I think we might have to wait until the new year now because with the way the pandemic is going, I don't foresee us coming out of lockdown, to be fair. Uh, you know, listening between the lines of what the government ministers are saying. So mm. we, we will sit and wait and see. However, in, in light of that, there is no reason on earth that there is no criminal or political reason why, uh, even if there is a, a, criminal, a criminal case uh, that could take place, th- that that should stop us from having a public inquiry. And the public inquiry is something that we, and particularly our loved ones, uh, have been waiting a very, very long time for. Yes, and you have been incredibly patient, Julian. Under the circumstances, uh, you've been incredibly well behaved because I don't think I would have been uh, if I was in your position, to be honest. But uh, good, very good luck with it. Uh, we'll be keeping tabs on it, of course, as well. Julie Hamilton, uh, there from the Justice uh, for the 21. Uh, people have been waiting for years and years and years. 1974, uh, as you heard, 46 years ago. Uh, and still no one has been brought to justice over that terrible event that night on November the 21st when so many people were killed uh, by a bomb planted by the IRA. The police are now questioning a suspect. Let us see where that all goes. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Hold up. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Let us now talk, though, uh, to Lewis McLeod, who is, of course, uh, our favourite uh, Donald Trump impersonator. He was in uh, on election night. If you haven't seen that performance, you really need to go and check it out on YouTube because it was quite remarkable. Uh, he stayed with us for quite some time uh, during the course of that uh, uh, amazing night. Lewis, a very good uh, morning. Welcome back. Hey, mate. How you doing? Yeah, it was good fun. It was, and, uh... wasn't it? I mean, who knew that uh, something like three weeks later, um, or practically nearly three weeks later, uh, there still wouldn't be a result? Exactly. Yeah, I'm not leaving. I'll go <laughs> kicking and screaming. You know, it's a very exciting time for the courts as well. You know, the cases are just getting booted out. Yeah, there's <laughs> a lot of lawyers. Day. A lot of lawyers making a lot of money. It seems to me. <laughs> there's more lawyers than voters. I think. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. But Joe Biden um, uh, sounding more and more kind of uh, together. Uh, he suddenly started making more sense after he uh, yeah. thought he won. He stopped stumbling and bumbling around suddenly. Yeah, he's trying to, I think he's just playing it cool. It's probably aided and abetted. Hey, come on. You know, let's just play this out cool as we can. He's trying to copy Obama, I think, watching, you know, watching Obama on the TV. This is a guy that could spend a whole hour just talking like this. Listen, I'm going to dictate the pace here from now on. That's what he has to do. He'd probably take him on the side and say, look, Biden, you're 78. You just got to play it cool. Don't say much. You've had a pandemic. You've not had to run around. The only running you do is to the podium. Enough. Just sit back and short let runs. this unfold. Short bursts. Short, and short you, bursts, you know. And have you had any insight, uh, Lewis, as to what the conversation was like between uh, Biden and uh, Mr. Boris Johnson? <laughs> well, I, listen, I've got enough on my plate. If it's not trying to run a shop selling PPE for ridiculously overinflated prices, but that's the support we give, uh, I, I, I really don't have time. To, to be dealing with your your underhand, far-left-leaning uh, proposal. So please back off. Foie. <laughs> 
You're not even the president yet. Uh, yeah, it's a great deal, though, isn't it? I'm trying to find uh, my way into Downing Street as a consultant because clearly um, when uh, you ask a question, you know, how much will you charge for this uh, middle uh, ground that you're going to be occupying and, and sort of uh, making something oh, Don't happen. get near it, mate. You'll get COVID. No. Stay away. Yeah, but, I'm, to, but I'm going to say, to well, Downing Street. 21 million is what, uh, is what I charge for that. So, I mean, you know, yeah. it's, it's, a great, it's a great business, that, isn't it? Oh, yeah. You have to do one bad. deal. We'll see you right. But isn't that funny uh, that actually the one place, the epicenter of COVID appears to be uh, Downing Street Street. and and, uh, and anybody who works there gets it. <laughs> Look, I said two meters, not two centimeters. <laughs> Back off now, now, go, go. But also, I have this great image of him, right, sitting there. Um, they won't tell us whether Carrie is self-isolating with him. I suspect she won't let him out of his sight, so she probably is in there with him. Um, but apparently, they put his food outside the door for him, right? <laughs> like sort of the prisoner of Zender. Yeah, exactly. Uh, just slide the rash of bacon under the. There's enough gap. Just uh, put the sausage through the keyhole. That's fine. Shred it. Okay, you've shredded it. Yeah. Now the lock won't work. <laughs> and yesterday, right, and he's going to do it again today, he comes out with this kind of Zoom uh, scenario where he goes into the House of Commons for Prime Minister's questions. It's one of the worst um, sort of quality Zoom lines I've ever seen. He's supposed to be running the country. He can't even sort his Zoom out. <laughs> it's like when a CD skips. Uh, now, buffering. Yeah. Buffering, yeah, buffering, buffering, Boris, with with the Keir Starmer, and it just it's a disaster. Yeah. And I bet you they've probably got like one of these old cathode ray tellies in the House of Commons, you know, just sitting there, mm. green monitor lines across it. This is not working. Yeah, of course. One of the highlights uh, yesterday was the return uh, of Ian Blackford to the chamber. He's obviously made the long <laughs> trip down from Sky. Uh, which he only does every now and again, because normally he appears... Yeah, in, in a spacesuit. In a spacesuit, yeah. Well, I mean, he gets the same train as that other woman, presumably, who was uh, spreading COVID all over the country. You know, it's a special SNP carriage that they get. Um, oh, she nicked it and she took off another line. She's away down. She's probably halfway to France right now, you know. <laughs> exactly right. But Blackford's a great man. Every time he gets up, he always, he's always asking for more money. I mean, yesterday actually said that, um, you know, that Scotland had been neglected by England uh, and that everybody in Scotland hates Boris uh, and they basically want independence. But, I mean, there's quite a lot of money flowing from London to, to Edinburgh, isn't there? Mr. Squeaker, we are skint. <laughs> uh, well, it's just, well, it's not really true. I mean, I'm speaking to various people. There's lots of grants available, certainly in the creative arts. They've piled a whole load of money in, uh, I think, three million. Again, these numbers are arbitrary to some yeah. extent. But there has been money ploughed back into, the, certainly, Creative Scotland. Um, and it Yeah, but it's all coming that, from down here, though, isn't it? Well, they haven't like, got any money of their own. Uh, it certainly isn't coming for stagecoach or anywhere like that. You know? No, no, exactly uh, right. And what about the whole uh, independence thing? We're hearing that uh, there's going to be a wipeout election victory for uh, Nicola Sturgeon uh, and her cohorts up there in May. So presumably uh, you'll be talking to us with a different passport soon. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I think that Christmas, I watched her on telly. She's brilliant. It's a brilliant interviewee, I have to say. I watched her on I watched her on the Scottish News broadcast. We go live. She doesn't um and ah. She knows her facts uh, brilliantly. And she's talking about doing it now. It's like football now because it's... Uh, at Glasgow 4, Midlothian 2. And uh, knowing where the boundary lines, it's, it's like border control, you know, at the end of your street. Um, we don't know, is it 4, 3, 2? Uh, she's very clear about, you know, doing it now, locking us down now, uh, and then releasing it for Christmas so that we can have a good laugh and see our family and, our, our, you know, and have maybe a possible 
Hoot Manani, you know. Uh, yeah. You know. Is my old mate Stephen Jardin still doing uh, all that business up there? I think so, yes. I saw, I don't, I can't, yes, that's right. No, that's, that's BBC. Yes, he's very good. They're all brilliant at uh, grilling, but the, the fact is she's very, very sure-footed about, you know, locking us down and then releasing us for Christmas. But yeah. I don't know if that's going to win our votes, uh, whether that does, who who knows? You well, Hogman is not going to be happening this year, though, is it? Oh, well, <laughs> well, it will be in my house. <laughs> uh, no way, I'm not sitting with a lump of coal. <laughs> no, exactly right. Now, I'm told uh, on the grapevine, by the way, the showbiz grapevine, which, of course, I'm very well connected to, uh, that you once made an appearance in The Crown, uh, which yes. is a very hotly contested show at the moment because everybody thinks it's terrible. And I'm one of the people who thinks it's terrible, by the way. It's got oh, Peter do you? Morgan. I've been enjoying it. Well, but no, then I'm well, no nice hang on. You haven't, no, you, well, I don't think the show's terrible, but I just think it's terrible that they've made up a load of stuff. I mean, you know, Charles and Diana um, had a pretty exciting yeah, life together. Why would you just start inventing things that happened? Yeah, even his prosthetic ears that they've stuck on him. <laughs> uh, but when the... The, the acting is, is, is really good. Yeah. I was in series two. I was uh, Sir Ian Tennant, the head of the Board of Governors at Gordonston. Oh, yeah. It's a big, loud bully. <laughs> it just said, who's here on view? There is more than each of you. <laughs> um, I had a, an amazing time. The director was Stephen Daldry, and he was awesome. And it, it was uh, it's quite an, it's really slickly done, having been in there in the in the pit, if you like. It's, uh, it's a really phenomenally put together uh, show and uh, was was kind of an amazing week out of my life. You yeah, know? yeah, I, know, I can imagine. I'm going to finish up with uh, uh, an ode to one of your favourites because Mr Philip Schofield one, uh, was, nominated, <laughs> right. was nominated this week as Plank of the Week uh, for basically calling Andrew Neil a climate change denier. I don't know if you saw that. But, well, um, I did. I saw a little. Yes, of course, I saw the interview, and he and he says, "Um, Andrew Neil, are you a climate change denier?" Well, of course, that was a terrible question because what he should have asked him, Andrew Neil, was whether or not he was a hair change denier. <laughs> yes, I am. I am eco-friendly. I use cornflakes on my head. Very good. Lewis, uh, we'd love to see you. Uh, thanks very much indeed. We'll see you again very soon, same time next week. Lewis McLeod, uh, check it in with us uh, with his uh, voices of the many, uh, not the few. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's all sounding a little bit space age. Boris Johnson, Prime Minister uh, from Downing Street, where he is, of course, self-isolating, addressing uh, the Commons and addressing uh, the public as well. Let's get uh, a view on what he's been saying from Colonel Richard Kemp, former commander of British forces in Afghanistan. It all sounds terribly high tech, um, uh, Colonel. Very good uh, afternoon to you. Very good afternoon. Yes, it, it does sound very high tech and um, space orientated. And that's as it should be, because mm. this is the, the warfare of the future where these new not necessarily new domains but developing domains like cyber artificial intelligence space and the various other areas that he mentioned are becoming increasingly important but one thing that should not be forgotten i think is that none of that really um <clears throat> stops the need to have conventional forces what what we don't have is the ability to replace completely replace anyway conventional armed forces, infantry on the ground, tanks, aircraft, manned aircraft, um, with this new technology. So therefore, what we have to do is we have to have both, and, and we have to invest in both. Mm. Uh, and that's why I think it's so important that this new 
um, increase to the defence budget is uh, has been announced. Yes, I mean, I remember last time you and I spoke, uh, Colonel, it was all about the planned sort of um, um, phasing out, really, of tanks. And, and, and you and I sort of both agreed that that seemed a little bit premature because there will still be opportunities and times when you need to use tanks in certain situations. I mean, you can't tell me that Boris Johnson, with the flick of a switch, is going to be able to somehow disarm an entire army or an entire sort of, you know, invasion force uh, with the flick of a, of a drone switch. No, absolutely not. And I think, you know, I think drones, unmanned aircraft and unmanned ships... Um, uh, and even unmanned tanks, I think these will become increasingly prevalent and more uh, more important. Mm. And, and it's right, it's good, because what it does, it, it probably increases the abilities of those different weapons, while at the same time reducing the risks to those people who fly them or drive them. Yeah. Uh, I think one, one mistake that people quite often are likely to make is, is the idea that you could do away, though, with individuals on the battlefield, with infantry soldiers... And other other individuals, engineers, and various other specialists on the battlefield who actually put their lives in danger, and and need to actually fight. I don't think they're going to be replaced anytime very soon at all by robots. Right. Well, because presumably, if we're going to have robots, then the other guy's going to have robots as well, and you'll end up with a sort of uh, you know some kind of Terminator-style battle going on that just rages forever and ever and ever until the robots run out. Yeah, I think I think I think it's it's it's, mo- it's most unlikely to happen. And you you know you, you there there is I can't conceive in my lifetime, or my children's, or even grandchildren's lifetime. Not that I've got grandchildren yet. I can't conceive of um, of a time when you will be able to completely eliminate the human being on the battlefield. And and therefore, it's it's essential that that their equipment and their weaponry is not neglected. The prime minister spoke about um, yeah, they can call on remote vehicles, remote sensors to, to give them warnings about what's happening and then summon up the forces to paralyse the enemy's uh, capability by cyber. Yeah, that's one possibility, but they still have to be able to call down artillery. They still have to be able to, when necessary, get into a trench with a bayonet and stick it in the enemy. And that's that's not just looking back in, you know, the sort of... Um, in, into the way war used to be fought. That's the way war is still going to be fought in the future. Don't, don't forget a lot of our combat uh, experience in recent years has not been of major armies facing each other, uh, one country against the other. It's been of dealing with insurgencies, dealing with guerrillas and terrorists among civilian communities. Yes. And there's a limited amount you can do that remotely. Some, at some point, you've got to get, as they say, up close and personal. Well, indeed. I mean, thinking of just, uh, say, the Balkans, you couldn't really have done uh, what the British Army did there as part of the UN peacekeeping force um, from drones or from, you know, unmanned uh, situations, could you? No, and I think the same goes for Afghanistan. I mean, no doubt there are a lot of areas of technology that will improve our capabilities to operate in environments like Iraq or Afghanistan if mm. we have to do that again, which I think is quite quite likely. Yeah, right. And presumably as well, there are things like nuclear submarines and the nuclear deterrent, which is always going to require um, you know, personnel involved in actually being in charge of the vessel, if you like, because you wouldn't wish to, I would imagine, have a, a, a submarine with nuclear capability um, with nobody on it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know about that one. I think I, th- I think what is certain is that there will have to be. We can't depend on artificial intelligence to 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 make decisions and give direction. That yes, they can support decision making and direction giving. But if you if you want to fire nuclear missiles or unconve- or even conventional missiles, 
then it needs a human being to make that decision. Even if he's not actually present pressing the button, if he's doing it remotely, it still needs a human being there. No, quite. Uh, Keir Starmer seems to be answering the call right now. Let's just have a quick listen to what he's got to say. Over the government's strategic priorities. And then there's the question of money. How will this announcement be paid for? Such is the government's handling of this pandemic that the UK has the sharpest economic downturn of any G7 country. Next week, the Chancellor will have to come here and set out the consequences of that. So can the Prime Minister tell us today, will the commitments he's made require additional borrowing, mean tax rises, if so, which ones, or will the money have to come from other departmental budgets? In particular, at the election last year, there was a very clear Conservative Party manifesto to, and I quote, spend 0.7% of GNI on international development. So a straight question, Prime Minister, is the government going to keep to that manifesto commitment? So Keir Starmer he must speaking know that if he breaks uh, it, there about the amount of money and how and where it's going to come from. A fairly, I mean, I know he probably thinks it's an important question, uh, Colonel, but at the moment, I mean, the money's just flooding out from all sorts of places. So I very much doubt that Prime Minister will be able to answer that. No, I agree. It, and it's, it's, in some ways, what he's doing is, and the timing of it is actually quite clever because, as, he, as I think, uh, not necessarily his announcement, but certainly an announcement said recently, there's going to be a very significant uh, increase in the number of jobs as a result of this defence spending. And, and of course, that's going to be absolutely vital as we come out of the coronavirus and face the, the real damage that's being done to the jobs market and will be continuing mm. done to the jobs market. So it's a clever way of doing it, I think, in that respect. Um, but of course, yes, I'm sure that other expenditure will have to suffer. The Treasury's got to balance the budget. The leader of the opposition mentioned overseas aid. Yeah. I have no doubt that some of the money for this new spending will come from the overseas aid budget. And I think it's right that it should do so. Mm. When you consider that our overseas aid budget includes giving money to China, the second largest economy in the world with the second largest armed forces in the world, which works against us. Mm. It, it's shocking. And China is just one example of obviously a standout example of areas that we do need. We can certainly trim back on on many parts of the overseas aid budget to help pay for this much more, I think, much more important uh, yes. uh, line of defence. And are you convinced, Colonel, that this is a genuine spend? You know, because we've heard um, prime ministers in the past say they're going to be spending a bit more money here, a bit more money there. But you've always said to me that mostly it's just been cuts and cuts and cuts over the last decade or so. Um, does this seem like a reverse in policy? I think I think it does, but but you make a very good point there. Of course, you make many very good points, but that particular one that um, we, we've seen cuts and cuts and cuts and cuts, and and we're starting off as the prime minister said, we are starting off from a low threshold in defence. Defence has been decimated mm. over the last decades, so we're starting at a low level, and we're also starting at a point where we've got a very big black hole in the defence equipment budget, which is barely going to be covered by this increase. So. It is good and it sounds good, but it maybe isn't quite as good as it sounds when you look at the level we're coming from and when you look at the, the problems the budget has already. Yes, and a lot of the um, the sort of aims are a couple of years away, aren't they? I think they're talking about uh, uh, getting a first rocket capable uh, of being part of the Space Command by 2022. Again, sounds very space age because it actually is. Yeah, and and, and, and you know, I think, I think it's reasonable enough. Obviously, one can only do so much at mm. such speed unless you want to give you know 
10 times as much now to defence, which we, we clearly can't do. But um, yeah, it's a lot, a lot of it is well into the future. And that's the way defence works, of course. And, and it's one of the biggest problems that defence planners have is actually identifying not only what the technology will be at the t- you know, in years to come, when you look at the speed in which technology develops, but also what threats we will face. And mm. you know, that's, I, I've been involved in that world myself when I was working in, in the intelligence world and looking forward to what the enemy is going to do, who are going to be your enemies, what their, their, their own capabilities and objectives are going to be. It's, it's one of the hardest aspects of any form of defence planning. Absolutely. Colonel Richard Kemp, thank you very much indeed. Former commander of British forces in Afghanistan on the news that Boris Johnson uh, is injecting £16 billion into uh, military spending. Much of it will be uh, for a cyber task force, uh, for artificial intelligence, uh, for modern weaponry, uh, which is fired by lasers, space age uh, materials as well. Uh, It all sounds terribly exciting. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid morning with Mike Graham, Talk Radio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.